Okay, everybody, welcome to Scottsdale Big Book Study, um, where we will look at the big book this evening. Um, today's date is the 29th of October, 2022. My name is Audrey and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from County Mead in Ireland, and I will be your host for today's meeting. Our, our co-hosts are um, Bonnie P, Sue L, and Johan N. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either the host or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answers which follow will not be recorded. We will also post the link to the previous week's recording in the chat box. We ask if you can please mute your microphones at all times during the study and this allow, and also, sorry, please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen at any reason. During the meeting, the chat box will be disabled, but we, you can, it will be open before the question and answers where you can post your question and answers. Uh, I will now turn the meeting over to Harlan J. Thanks, Harlan. Thank you very much, Audrey. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, it is gorgeous here today. It's gonna be in the 80s here in Arizona. I hope it's just as beautiful wherever you are. If you're listening on the podcast or you're listening live, I hope it's gonna be absolutely gorgeous where you are. I was just remembering, I used to live in Oregon. I used to live in Eugene, Oregon and October 29th, which was Black Tuesday. It was always raining, always, always raining at the end of October. And I'm, I, I loved Oregon. Oregon is gorgeous, not was gorgeous. Oregon is gorgeous gorgeous. There's no summer quite like the Willamette Valley. It's just a breathtaking, breathtaking place. Uh, if you've never experienced it, go there before God closes your eyes. But as I was saying to myself this morning, I'm so happy to be here where it's so it's gorgeous, just in a different way. That's all. Today is a red letter day in AA history. If you go back to page four, and we're going to be starting on page 58. But if you go back to page four, it says abruptly in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. And Bill is referring to a date, October 29th, 1929. So it was, I believe, 93 years ago today when that very famous day occurred where Bill did not kill himself. Thank God, if he had killed himself, I'd be dead too. He went back to the bar. He says, I went back to the bar October the 29th, 1929, which will forever be referred to as Black Tuesday. It is the start. It is the date that the Great Depression started, and we were not to come out of that depression for many, many years. And like a generation of Americans, my dad came out of that period of time. He came to this country in 1914, but he survived the Great Depression, and he was very grateful for our country that we pulled out of it. And uh, He always felt that it showed that we were great. But the bottom line is it's a red-letter date in AA history because it's the date that Bill Wilson writes about in the big book uh, as being uh, the day that he did not kill himself, he went back to the bar. So very, very important date. We are in the chapter, How It Works. And as we talked about last week, uh, How It Works, 
was written in Bill's home at 182 Clinton Street. He was rather nocturnal at that point in his life. We're going back to the middle of 1938, just a mere nine months before the big book was printed on April 10th, 1939. And he wrote how it works. And he wrote uh, chapters five, six, and 11, five, six, and 11, really sort of late in the process. And uh, he did not set out to write 12 steps. It just sort of happened. He wanted to close some of the loopholes in the six step process that they had been following from the Oxford group meetings. And in 1937, the New York groups in, in, in AA, they pulled out of the Oxford group. And, and there were several reasons for that. But the groups were already out of the Oxford group at this time. But the Oxford group has a giant shadow in our steps and in our history. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the Oxford group six step program uh, as as uh, we get into this morning's reading. But let's go back, as I promised. Oh, wait, I didn't finish my thought. He wrote how it works in about 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. And he often said that it was as if the pencil had a life of its own. And it sort of raced across the pages. And within 20, 30 minutes, he wrote chapter five, How It Works, one of the greatest pieces of spiritual literature the world had ever seen. It was the beginning of, the, uh, of, a, of a new era. And <clears throat> the very famous philosopher, the very famous Scott Peck, he wrote, and I believe this, of course, there's no way to prove it for about 20,000 years, which we won't be around. But Scott Peck wrote that ultimately the 20th century will be known for three events, three things. The first one being the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903 in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and that started the age of airplanes. Number two, the computer slash atomic age, and that was uh, that was uh, what he said would be the second one. The whole computer thing, the I, the 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 uh, telephone, the cell phones is what I'm trying to say, and all that stuff. The atomic bomb, all that stuff was 20th century. And the third thing that the 20th century will be noted for in the thousands and thousands and thousands of years that are going to go beyond us is the development of the 12 steps that we're going to be talking to today. We're going, to be, we're going to be looking at these today. We're on page 58, and it, we're going to reread a, a little blurb, a little blurb. We're going to reread something very, very important in the big book because I didn't give it the attention that it needed last week because we got to it so late that I said we were going to do it again. And if you would indulge me and go to the the middle of, of 1958, the middle of page 58. I'm not thinking clearly today. I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I'm getting Alzheimer's disease or something, but here's what we're looking at. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. And this is a phone call that I get all the time. I get this phone call just 
every week of my life, I get this phone call. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be a man. It could be a woman. It could be whoever. It's somebody that's telling me they worked the steps. They were abstinent. They went to meetings and now they're eating and they're very upset when I tell them they have to put the food down, get a sponsor and work the steps. And I hear this wail on the phone, but I've already worked the steps. Yeah, but if you had really worked them, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So if, it's, if we're reading these words, if you decided you want what we have, keep in mind that what we have may be a little different than what you may be thinking. I don't know, but it was different from what I was thinking. It was March of 1980. I had been in for 13 months, freezing cold day. I was at the Lincoln Park Alano Club. It was a Saturday afternoon. And my sponsor, my then sponsor, he met me at the Lincoln Park Alano Club in Chicago off of Arm, near Armitage and Dickens. And we were talking and we used to meet on Saturday afternoons and we would talk and we would work out of the big book, not very differently than the way I conduct this this workshop, not very differently at all from the way we do this. And when we got to this line, he said something to me that changed my perspective forever. You see, I was still dieting with group support. So I had not been released from the urge that I had to eat food. I had not been released from the obsession of the mind, nor had I been released from the allergy of the body. I was dieting with group support. And he said to me, if you've decided you want what we have, and he stopped right there very abruptly. And he said, Harlan, what is it that we have that you seem to want? And I said, well, you're losing weight and you're not eating compulsively. And he said, that's a very bare bones beginning of what we have. He said, think about it again. And I just couldn't come to the answer. And finally, mercifully, he gave me the answer and I'll give it to you. What we have is 115 people on the line today, 115 people. Now, not everybody is in this space, but I'm going to bet that there's more than just me that are that is in this space. And what is the space that I'm talking about? I'm glad you asked. The space that I'm talking about is that we have been released from the mental obsession temporarily, temporarily through the working of the steps so that the steps are doing for us what the food does for us, but it does it a little slower with none of the devastating side effects. So we have been released from our compulsion, from, not from our compulsion, we have been released from our obsession to use food to change our perception of reality. And we are in the space that's using the steps to affect a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So in other words, there is a lot more to this 
than just not eating. It is that I am happy in the release that I feel to compulsively overeat. And the only way to get happy about not eating for a compulsive overeater is to have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And that's very, very important for me to have and hold that distinction that we are not just people that are not compulsively overeating. There, I live about a half a block from a Krispy Kreme donut shop and there's Krispy Kreme right on Shea. Now, I could walk there easily from where I live. No problem, it's that close. And there are people in that Krispy Kreme donut shop on Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale that are having a half a donut. They're splitting a half a donut with their partner, their spouse, their friend, their child, their parent, whatever it is. They're splitting a donut. Each are gonna have half and the other half, or excuse me, the and they're gonna have maybe some coffee or some milk and that's all they're gonna order and they're fine and they're done. So there's people not compulsively overeating at Krispy Kreme donuts as we speak. Now, if I went to Krispy Kreme donuts and ate a half a donut because of the physical allergy, I would be like a hound searching for and eating more and more. And the more donuts I ate, the more I would want. And the more I want, the more I would eat. And the more I eat, the more I want. And it's just endless. So I have to know what you have before I can want what you have. And I have to want what you have in most cases before I will be willing to do the work to get it. Want me to say that again? Okay. I have to know what you have in order to want what you have. And I have to want what you have before I'm usually willing to do the work necessary to get what you have. Not long ago, before the pandemic, I would say, what is it, three, it's three years now, I went and I had a horrible, horrible backache because I was driving a car, regular old car, which was fine. There was nothing wrong with my car, nothing. I only drive about three, 4,000 miles a year. I live in Scottsdale. Everything's a stone throw from here. I really don't drive very much at all. So I was driving about 3,000 miles a year. So my car was 14 years old. We had a beautiful bar mitzvah for the car when it turned 13. It was gorgeous. You should have been there. It was really nice. But anyway, I got up one morning with a horrific backache because it was getting harder and harder for me to get out of the car. And I says, I'm buying an SUV. And I went to the Honda, I, well, I went to the dealership over on Frank Lloyd Wright Boulevard in Scottsdale. And I said, give me a, give me a whatever. And I got the car. And I took it home and I have not had a backache since. Isn't that something? Once in a while, I'll get a stiff back because I'm 68 years old and I do have a little arthritis in the spine, but it's not like it was. And that I said to myself then, I said to some of my friends, that's the best money I ever spent because it stopped the backaches. I do not get backaches. But I had to know in my mind that that car or that SUV would stop the backaches. 
I wanted what that car could give me. So I paid the price. So before we move on, I'm going to again say, if you want what we have, what is it that we have? We have a proven workable method by which you are you can be released from the mental twist that drives you into the food in search of relief from the intenable, unbearable pain that comes into our lives when we're not eating. That's what we have. It's not just that we're not eating. Now for the anorexic, the bulimic, the other side of my coin, I am not anorexic when it comes to food. I'm not bulimic when it comes to food. So I have never experienced that firsthand, but I know many of you have. We are people who, some of which are anorexic, some of which are bulimic, and there's three forms of bulimia. There's regurgitation, lax, laxative abuse, and exercise bulimia. And many bulimics practice one or more of those fashions of bulimia. They have the opposite side of the coin. But what we have here are people who are not practicing bulimia and they are happy in their release. So they're, they're not abusing their esophagus and their insides. They're not doing that to themselves and they're not suffering that damaging, denigrating horror that you feel when you've purged like that. So they are people who are free as well. Now let's continue. If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, let's stop right there. Recently on our Scottsdale meetings in the evening, somebody asked me something or not me, but asked a question about going on a trip. And recently on a vision for you, there was a gentleman who called up and he said, well, what about, you know, I'm busy and I've got all these things and I've got this and I've got, what am I going to do? I have to know that for me, this is just for me. I can't judge this for anyone else. I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not being critical of anybody else. I'm talking about Harlan G. of Scottsdale, Arizona, 1972 graduate of Mather High School, born and raised in Chicago on Albany and on Devon. This is for me. I have to believe that the big book is telling me the truth. It either is or it's not. And what the big book says to me is the main object of this book is to help me find a power greater than myself, which will solve my problem. And if it's going to be the main object of my book, it's going to be the main object of my life. Then it says wife or no wife, job or no job. We simply do not recover. It tells us in a warning, we do not recover if we put anything else ahead of God. And in another part of the, of the book, it says, God either is everything or he is nothing. What is my choice to be? Now, again, I'm just talking about me. I'm not criticizing anybody else. This for me is the most important thing in my life without exception. Without exception, my recovery is numeral uno. Years and years ago, there was a car company and it said, quality is job one. For Harlan, 
recovery is job one. Nothing comes before recovery. So there is nothing I put in front of God. Yes, I want to make money and I do. Yes, I'd like to find a nice curvy companion and I'm, I try to work on that. Yes, I'd like to do this, this, and this, and I want to go here, and I want to go there, and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. Yeah, those things are very important, but they do not come before recovery. Not for me, because I have suffered enough from this disease. I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to suffer. Life is precious. Death is inevitable suffering is optional. And I'll be damned if I'm going to suffer at the hands of this disease. I gave this disease decades of my life, decades of my life. I'll be damned if I am going to uh, give it one more second. Let's continue. Then you are ready to take certain steps. So let's move forward with this in mind. This has to be for me. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to generalize here. If you are going to recover, you're going to have to make this numeral uno. Does that mean you should abandon your children? No. Does this mean you have to quit your job and live on a beach or under a bridge? No. No, it doesn't mean that at all but this has to be number one. I found the time to eat. I found the time to, against my will, go get donuts and cookies and cake and all this Doritos and all this crap. I found the time to pass the bad checks. I found the time to practice this disease. Now I have to find the time to recover. And either I'm going to find the time and recover or I don't want to, but the time is there. I had the time to eat. I had the time to get the cookies. I had the time to get the candy. Now I have the time to recover. And this is what I've noticed. And this is just me. This is just me. I find that when I put recovery first, everything else gets elevated in my life. Everything else in my life gets to be top notch top-notch. I find that by walking to God, he runs to me. And this idea that I'm too busy to recover is just plain narishkeit. And narishkeit is a Yiddish word for foolishness. It's just plain narishkeit. It's just not true. It's not true. Let's continue. At some of these, we balk. What does balk mean? Balk means we hesitated. We were scared, you know, because we're scared of the unknown. But what else are we scared of? We're scared of giving up food. We're scared of giving up the one thing. Yes, it brought us pain. Yes, it brought us torture. Yes, it ruined our lives. Yes, all those things are true. Made us an object of ridicule. Had doctors and, and haberdashers yelling at us. And, and it, it isolated us. But you know what else it does? It takes away the pain in the most beautiful way instantly. And we eat the food. And for about nine, maybe 10 seconds, 
The world is a beautiful, groovy place. That's a lot to give up. But look at what we're replacing it with. We are replacing it with the power of the recovery, which will bring into our lives an even more beautiful reality, an even more beautiful existence on earth, and a more beautiful and fulfilling life, because we will fill that life with true altruism, with altruism, which means service for other to other people with no thought of return and nothing, including food, will give me the enhanced rapture of what the steps have given me over the last several decades. Nothing in this world could have prepared me for how beautiful life can be. Do I still have bad days? Yes. Do I have all the money I'd want to have? No. Do I have everything. Do I have a Norman Rockwell painting for my life? No. Do I have a courier in Ives, you know, Christmas or a courier in Ives kind of Thanksgiving? No, no. And I'm 68 years old and I desperately want to be seven again so I can get a do-over. But I can't do any of those things, but I have a God. And when I walk to that God, that God runs to me. And last week when I was here, I described for you some of the miracles that I experienced when I was home in Chicago at my reunion. And I described for you some of the wonderful feelings that I had in the simple miracles that God has bestowed upon me, that I was able to get in and out of regular cars with no problem, that I was able to buy t-shirts and shorts from a bookstore of a high school and they fit that I stood on the, the floor of, of Mather High School in Chicago, 105 pounds lighter than the last time I was there as a student. I am down 105 pounds from that day. That I can walk three miles without stopping. That my bills are paid. That I have a new car that I have a house. These may be very elementary things to some of you, but to me, they are not only dreams come true, but they give me more comfort. They give me more blessing than, I am, than my vocabulary will allow me to describe. I remember writing bad checks. I remember being scared of the phone when it was connected. I remember living the life of a man who was an object of ridicule, that when I would walk out of the house, men and women and children would laugh at me and point at me and make me an object of ridicule. Nobody has done that to me for a very, very long time. I don't want to be an object of ridicule. Now, maybe you're saying to yourself, yeah, but I never was an object of ridicule. But you remember that you didn't like the way life was going. You were uncomfortable in your skin and you yearned for another life and you came to OA and here is what we're telling you to do. So do it. This is the prescription. These are the directions. This is the program. This is what we're laying out for you. Let's continue. We thought we can find an easier, softer way. 
when I came in here, I was not going to be abstinent seven days a week. I was not going to be abstinent seven days a week. I built in a lie that I was going to be abstinent six days a week, but on Sunday, I'm going to eat everything I want to eat. Then it turned into Saturday and Sunday, which turned into Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which turned into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Well, you see where we're going with this. So that didn't work. I'm either doing this or I'm not. There's no half measures. There's no half of recovery. Recovery is a vending machine, in my opinion. And if I have a product in a vending machine that I wish to purchase, and the product costs $2, and I put in $1.99, you know what I'm going to get out? Nothing. I'll be lucky to get my $1.99 back. I'm not going to get the product. Either I'm putting in enough money, or I'm not. That's the same thing as this recovery. But we could not, with all the earnestness at our command. What does earnestness mean? It means truth. With all the truth at our command. Now, we've, we've, we've looked at that word honesty in the first paragraph here. And how many times does he say honesty? He says it a few times because he wants me to be honest about, am I a compulsive overeater or not? And if I am a compulsive overeater, then this is what I'm going to have to do. And he's explaining to me what I have to do. We beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Now, what word is missing from there that trips up a lot of people? It's not there. What word is missing? And the word is perfect. He says fearless and thorough from the very start. He does not say perfect. The only step that I have to work perfectly is paso prima, step one. That's the only step that I have to work perfectly because I've learned that once I ingest sweeteners, sugar, fried foods, flour, once I ingest these things into my system, I am going to be set up with an unnatural allergy to these foods. And when we say allergy, we mean an unnatural adverse reaction. The reaction that I have to certain foods is both abnormal and adverse. That means most people don't react the way I do. And it means that it's, it's abnormal and it's adverse means it's harmful. When I eat Egg rolls, Chips Ahoy, Reese's peanut butter cups, O. Henry bars, what have you, payday bars. Those were some of my favorites, Kit Kats. When I eat those things, the more I want, the, excuse me, the more I eat, the more I want, the more I want, the more I eat, and it's just endless. So the only step I have to work perfectly is one because food also doesn't just alter my body, it alters my mind like a drunk, I am altered. Now, when it comes to food, you may be sitting there thinking, I've eaten those things and I'm perfectly normal. Not if you're a compulsive overeater. If you are a compulsive overeater, the food not only alters you with the allergy, 
but it gives you an effect of the mind so you do not see reality. You are altered. You can argue with me till the cow jumps over the moon. And that's why we insist on two days of abstinence before we start working the steps with anybody, because it takes a couple of days to clear that food out of your system. Let's keep going. We beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start, not perfect. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go. Absolutely. What are my old ideas? I'm going to eat my, what I want. I'm just going to die anyway. What's the use? Uh, what's the, I mean, I, I just want to die and that's it. The old ideas are, oh, life sucks. Then you die and blah, blah, blah. No, life is a beautiful, beautiful, fantastic unbelievable adventure and experience. And that what God has put before us, at least in my case, is so unexpectedly, so unabashedly fantastic that I, I don't want to miss one second of it. I don't want to miss one second of it. I spent too much time in isolation. I spent too much time eating food that I would have given anything not to be eating, not to be wanting. I want to enjoy every second of this. And the result was nil until we let go. Absolutely. I have to let go of these fixed ideas. I have to let go of all this garbage that's in my head. All this insanity that's in my brain about what life is or what life isn't or any negativity, I need to let it go. Do you know what one of the most unbelievable miracles for me is? When I go to the doctor and he doesn't scream and yell at me about how fat I am. I know that that may sound very simple, but I have the right to get sick. You see, before when I would get sick, I would try not to go to the doctor because I knew that the doctor was going to scream and yell at me. Why do I want to go someplace where they're going to scream and yell at me? I have the right to get sick. And if I have to go to the doctor, oh, well, that's okay. I'm on Medicare. They'll take care of it. That's okay. I have health insurance. I'm 68 years old. I'm on Medicare. I have supplements. I'm not going to have to worry about the money, really. I mean, yeah, there's a sometimes there's a, a part you have to pay, but I'm fine with that. That's okay. That's all right. You know what? When I used to travel and I just went home, or I, you know, wherever it is I go, I'm going to New York. I'm going to be doing, oh, I'm going home in a couple of weeks, actually. I'm going to a wedding, and the wedding is in Skokie, which is right near where I used to live in West Rogers Park, Chicago, and I'm going home. And you know what? <laughs> I'm flying first class because I've got a bunch of miles on, on the airline and I bump myself up using miles to first class both ways. What a nice little treat I was able to give myself. What a nice little treat I was able to provide. For, but you know, it wasn't me providing it. It was definitely God because you know where those miles came from? Those miles came from trips I took to do workshops in OA. 
That's where those miles came from. That's where they accumulated. But I'm going home. And one of the fears I always had when I would travel is, oh my God, what happens if I spill something on my clothes? You know what? If I spill something on my clothes, I'll have a friend of mine take me to a clothing store or I'll have a friend of mine take me to a department store and I'll buy a freaking shirt or I'll buy a pair of pants. I'm not of a size where they're not going to have it. That's freedom. And you know what else I don't have to do? When I fly home, I don't have to ask the freaking stewardess or flight attendants, excuse me, they're not stewardesses anymore. They're flight attendants now. I don't have to ask the freaking flight attendant for the extender belt. And I know I've said this in here before. I don't know whether they do this to yank my chain or not, but here's what I experienced a million times. They're holding up the extender belt. Now, here I am. I don't have a seat belt on. I'm seven times the size of anybody else on the airplane. Who was it that needed the extender belt? Just like they want me to put my hand up just to mess with me, just to, just to pull my chain. Now, who else could it be that needs this freaking extender belt except the fattest guy on the plane? And I, they make me put my hand up and say, I'm the guy that needs the extender belt. Sometimes I think they were sent there by Bonnie just to mess with me. I really do. I know she's behind it. I just can't prove it yet. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, I am emancipated from that today. Now, it may sound very simple to some of you, because maybe none of you have ever needed the extender belt. But for a person who flew with extender belts for years, let me assure you, this is recovery. This is freedom. This is a miracle. Is it like a sunrise or a sunset? To me, it is. To me, it is. If I get to Chicago and find, oh my God, uh, my shirt is ruined, I'll go get another shirt. If I get to Chicago and I find, oh my God, uh, whatever, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. It'll be okay. It really will, it'll be okay. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's recovery. It's not in the woo-woo things that you see in the sky. It's not the things that, you know, winning the lottery would be great. I don't buy a ticket, so it'd be rather hard for me to win it because I don't buy a ticket to it. So me winning is even more unlikely. But the bottom line is, for me, walking three miles tomorrow morning, for me, getting on a plane and fitting in the seat, for me, Buying a t-shirt at the high school bookstore is where you fly. It's where you recover. That's freedom. I want what you have. I don't want to be the fattest kid in the school. I don't want to be an object of ridicule. I don't want to hate myself anymore. If I never lost a pound and you said to me, you are condemned to weigh 700 pounds, I could handle that. What I don't want to do anymore is obsess about dying because I can't live 
What I don't want to do anymore is I don't want to hate myself. I want to be the kind of friend to myself that I deserve. And I don't want to talk to myself like I'm some sort of murderer. When I was first married, I was living in Eugene, Oregon for maybe a week. Hannah wasn't even born yet. And we got lost. Well, we, we're not used to, you know, this is in the days well before, you know, the thing on your phone. You had to stop and ask directions and blah, blah, blah. We got lost. And I was chastising myself. And my wife touched my arm. I'll never forget it. And she said, Harlan, if you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself, would you have any? I don't want to hate myself anymore. I don't want to be my own worst enemy anymore. Will I make mistakes? Yes. But I'm a human being but I don't want to hate me anymore. That's freedom. That's recovery. It's not just in the weight loss. It's not just in the weight loss. It's not just in what you look like. It's not just the size clothes you can or cannot fit into. It's about your self-talk. It's about your frame of mind. That's so much a part of it. Remember that we deal with alcohol. I'm at the very bottom of 58. Remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. You know, when I was a little boy, I read a story called The Little Engine That Could. The Little Engine That Could. And it's a story of a train engine that saved the day, very sort of parallel to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, probably a matter of plagiarizing it, but that's okay. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the little engine that could had something in common. They saw that there was a problem and they came in against all odds and they saved the day. I'm a product of Western culture. So are you. We were taught as children, whether you were a boy or you were a girl, it didn't seem to matter. You were taught that you can do anything. And that's a good thing to teach kids. You can do it. You put your mind to it. You put your discipline to it. You put your nose to the grindstone. Use a little elbow grease and you can do it. That's good. Except when it comes to my addiction. When it comes to my addiction, I can't do it. But my ego doesn't want to let help in because it wants to handle the situation itself so we can handle it on its own terms. Set the rules. And what I learned is if I'm gonna recover and I wanna be just another bozo on the bus, which I really don't wanna be, I either wanna be the driver of the bus or I just wanna be now in recovery, just another bozo on the bus then I'm going to have to do what you do. If I want what you have, I better be prepared to do what you do. 
And that means that this disease is too much for me to handle on my own. I can't handle this disease. I think I'm not Arnie Duncan. Who's Arnie Duncan? Arnie Duncan was the Secretary of Education at one time in our country, and he came from Chicago. He was the head of Chicago Public Schools, Arnie Duncan. And I'd like to talk to Arnie and say, hey, let's cut back on the Hittites and the Samaritans, and let's cut back on the Babylonians, and let's cut for sure back on all the math. Take all the math and send it to another country. We don't need any math, no math. And let's talk to kids about needing help. Let's talk to kids about real life. Let's talk to kids that sometimes there are situations where needing help is really a good thing. And how many of us stood in the window of OA and fought this because you wanted to just do this on your own. And I know I'm talking to the people that are here, but there are millions and millions of people that are not here because they don't want to accept the help of God or the accept or accept help from somebody else. It's not consistent with their ego. And a truly spiritual person will accept help. And that takes a metamorphosis. What is the catalyst of that metamorphosis? Pain, suffering, alienation, self-loathing. That's the catalyst of that metamorphosis. Pain, humiliation, not to be confused with humility. Hatred of self, hatred of the one life that we've been given. To embrace life and to get help takes a big person. I don't mean big of statue. I mean big of spirit. You see people in OA all the time. They've been here for years. They are significantly overweight. They are significantly heavier than you've seen them in years. And here they are. But are they really doing what we're saying? In most cases or all cases, no. So we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars attracting new people to our rooms as well we should. That's good. Good money. That's good. And tradition five says we need to carry the message to the person who's still suffering. It doesn't say carry it to the newcomer. It says carry this message to the person, to the alcoholic who is still suffering. There are people that have been in these rooms for decades. Maybe some of you are listening to this either now or on a podcast. It's scottsdalebigbook.com. And you're suffering too. But because you've been around for a long time, you don't quite get the attention of the newcomer. We sort of let you sort of be. I'm here to tell you, we want to help you. I don't care whether you came with the room. We want to help you. You are as precious to us and sometimes more so than anybody.
You're like the lost lamb and we want to help you. And there's no shame in needing help. The shame is in not wanting the help, not taking the help because of stupid, idiotic pride, ego. We all need help. When I was a little boy, there was a loan company in Chicago. And at the end of every commercial, it would say, it never hurts to get a little help from a friend. Some of you who are from Chicago, uh, you, you may remember those commercials. That, that company, I'm sure, went out of business because I haven't heard of them in many, many, many years. But it says it's, it's all right to get a little help from a friend. So if you live in Northwest Indiana or in Chicago or Southern Southeast Wisconsin, you probably remember those commercials as well as I do. All right, top of 59. Without help, it is too much for us. That's a sentence I can't say enough. Without help, it is too much for us. Does it say without help, it's gonna be hard? No. Does it say without help, it's gonna be a struggle? No. What does it say? Without help, it is too much for us. Remember the little engine that could? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Remember that little engine that could? Remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? He saved the day. He's, he guided Santa's sleigh. We are not Rudolph and we are not the little engine that could. We need a tugboat. We need help. We need each other. And we need God. It's okay. It's okay. Doing it on your own? Hey, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? It's not. But there is one who has all power. One is capitalized. He's talking about God. There is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. How do you find him? Well, they're about to tell you. How do you find him? is by working the steps. And if you're looking for God and you don't seem to be able to find him, look for God in the face of one of his children. Can't find God? Seems that you're disconnected. Seems that just nothing is quite right. Look for God in the face of one of his children. Reach out and help somebody. Get out of your own way and be of service. You say to me, well, I'm not in recovery. How can I be of service? Make an outreach call. Take action. You've heard me say this a million times. This is not a program for people who need it. If it was, there'd be 80,000 people at every meeting. Obesity is ransacking our world. 1995, what happened in 1995? Yes, I got my first cell phone, that's true. But what else happened in 1995? A generation of Americans, not Mongolians, not, not Chinese or whatever, or whatever, North Koreans, a generation, <clears throat> hold on, of Americans was born with a shorter lifespan than their parents. That's a Shana Nacharpa. What does a Shana Nacharpa mean? It's a shame. 
What is the biggest factor in the fact that in 1995, a generation of Americans was born with a shorter lifespan than their parents, numeral uno, childhood diabetes, childhood diabetes type two. Number two, the rampant childhood obesities. Obesity level is what I meant to say. Those are the number one and number two factors that kids are getting fatter and developing diabetes at rates never seen before in this country's history. Check it out. It's fact. I didn't make it up. There are millions and millions of people that need this program. This is not a program for people who need it. If it was, we'd have our meetings at Wrigley Field, or we'd have them at Sox Park, or we'd have them at, where did the Northwestern play? Not Dyke Stadium anymore. It's now called Ryan Field and the Chicago Stadium, the United Center. There'd be meetings there because they can hold tens of thousands of people. It's not a program for people who need it. It's not a program for people who want it. It's a program for people who do it. It's an action program. And without action, it's all a bunch of nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So you could say, I'm not in recovery. I'm not abstinent. You can call someone and tell them that and let them talk to you or you talk to them. You're not finding God. Look for God in the face of one of his children and you'll find him every time. He's always there, always. Half measures availed us nothing, nothing. It would be interesting, it would be different if you could get half a recovery for half, a, for half the effort. Doesn't work that way. I'm in or I'm out, it's a poker game. You're either in or you're out. You cannot be in the, the hand of poker without being in. There's no such thing as I'm half in and I'm half out. You're either in or you're not in, okay? It's a poker game. You're in or you're not. With half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. There are hundreds and hundreds of homes here in Scottsdale where right now nobody is home. Nobody's home, but the house is full of furniture. It's clean, it's presentable. You can tell someone lives there. And there are houses here, I don't know exactly where they are, but I'm betting there are houses here that have been abandoned. No one's living there and no one's gonna be living there until someone takes over the house. There's no furniture in there. There may be some garbage. There may be an old you know, McDonald's bag or something in there, but you, nobody lives there anymore. It's what we would call an abandoned home. It's abandoned. No one's there, no one lives there. We have to abandon these old fruitless, impotent ideas. 
These ideas are not workable. We have tried them and tried them and tried them. And we've put every ounce of effort into these, these things, these endeavors, and they have never worked. It's time to stop it and go a different way. We have to completely abandon our old ideas. Now, before we look at the 12 steps, which there isn't time to do today, I'm gonna just introduce the six step program and we're gonna start there next week. But I wanna completely give you the background of our 12 steps by giving you the six step programs and the four absolutes of the Oxford Group program. I am looking at page 263 in the fourth edition. It is the story, He Sold Himself Short. It's the story of how AA came to Chicago, which is where I'm born and raised. I'm born and raised in Chicago. Number one, complete deflation. Number two, dependence and guidance from a higher power. Number three, a moral inventory. Number four, confession. Number five, restitution. Amends is AA language. Restitution is Oxford group language. The Oxford groupers never talked about making amends. They talked about making restitution. They are synonymous with each other. Clay, amends is AA language. Restitution is Oxford group language and continued work with other alcoholics. Those are the six steps that gave birth to the 12-step program that we have. Now, I wanna talk for just a minute about the four absolutes, and then we're going to, I, I wanna make some announcements, and then I'm gonna turn it back to Audrey. This is the four absolutes of the Oxford Group program. And as much as anything else, these four absolutes drove the New Yorkers out of the Oxford group in 1937. And eventually, because of Clarence Snyder, we'll get into all this history next week and stuff. But Clarence started an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in Cleveland. And eventually, Dr. Bob pulled the AAs out of the Oxford groups in 39 because the Oxford group wanted you to be absolutely honest, absolute honesty absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. And these alcoholics were having trouble being anything but absolutely drunk. And they couldn't live up to this. And so eventually this was a catalyst in the alcoholics leaving the Oxford group movement. Now, before I turn it over to Audrey, and I know I didn't make much sense today because my brain wasn't as engaged as it normally was. So please excuse me. I wanna remind you guys that in New York, in White Plains, New York, I will be doing a workshop there. And that will be the 9th, 10th and 11th of December, 9th, 10th and 11th in White Plains, New York. And someone smarter than me that isn't talking, I hope will post the registration information on this workshop in New York. Now, the 13th, 14th, and 15th 
of January over